Gabe Santomato Marzano, it is awesome <laughs> to have an episode just with you and I because we haven't caught up like this in a long time. I feel like it's probably been weeks in the making that we've released an episode between you and I. And the best part about it is we've been so focused on guests coming onto the show, which means that we've been backdated. So they've been released in succession at a later date. But this one should go live next week, which means we can talk about current events and all things that happen in the cyberspace. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Sully Ben. It's like, what's going on? Pre, pre-hit record. We had a couple of false starts there. There's so much happening. And what, Friday the 28th of April, and we'll yeah. be releasing on Monday in a few days time. So, so much happening. RSA is on tail end of the week at the moment. AI is going gangbusters. Everyone's announcing AI platforms. There's all sorts of advancements there. We're talking about CyberFit Nation before, which I'm keen to dip into. And then sovereign capabilities, all sorts of stuff. So I don't know where we're going to take the conversation, but as always, I feel like we should have hit record as we caught up, like within the last <laughs> half an hour. <laughs> yeah. So for everyone listening, Gabe and I generally don't catch up like this on Zoom, but uh, we just got into it. We've been talking for half an hour and just realized, ah, we should have pressed record. Yeah. Classic. How was <laughs> you your start Anzac with Anzac day? day? Hey, there yeah. it is. How was your Anzac day, Ben, last week? Special yeah, mine was great, actually. It's, a, it's always a special time of the year. It's, it's the one day a year you can wear your medals on your chest and go out in public and be proud of the things you've done more publicly. And catching up with old mates and new mates is always front of mind for me on Anzac Day. But this year was special. We moved to the Gold Coast, obviously. It's the first time we went to the Dawn service down at Corumban, which was amazing. It's broadcasted on Channel 7 every year. So it's a big, big Anzac Day. And I had my two girls with me and my wife, who is also a veteran. So it was really cool to experience that with with the family. How and tell us about tell us about the story about the rise of the SIGs, please, as it relates as well to the cybersecurity industry. Just want to segue there because, yeah. of course, in military, in the army, in particular, engineers are really top of the food chain. So <laughs> now we come into corporate and and tell us about the rise of the SIG. <laughs> well, there's so much I want to say about that first statement, but hey, I'll look past it. With the rise of SIG, it's, so SIG for non-military folk is, is the Signals Corps. So Royal Australian Signals Corps is the oldest corps outside of infantry. Thank you, Gabe, by about three days to the engineers. But it is and always has been an enabling element to our fighting forces. The Signals team or some of the Signals team generally follow in the combat forces and conduct all radio operations and electronic countermeasures and things like that and some of the cyber side. So. Traditionally, it's been an enabling element, which comes with some slack that you get from the fighting forces, even though you're probably better looking, smarter, and more capable. And so throughout my career, I was always got grief for being a SIG or the signals operator. I used to get told that you'll only work at McDonald's in the drive-through. Do you want chips with that? Those types of things, which was always good banter. And the rise of the SIG has now completely flipped that in the technology and the digital revolution has changed everything. But as it relates to Anzac Day, I caught up with a few old mates, a few ex-commandos who have less now and, and a few others in the engineer corps, actually. And the underlying theme was, how do I get into cyber? And I just found that so <laughs> validating because I went through 10 years of grief and now it's like, hey, how do the I be like you? tables have turned. Yeah, the tables have turned. How does how it feel they? to be on the other side? feels kind of bizarre, actually. I was a bit taken aback by it, but uh, yeah, there was good banter. We had a few rum and milks and... And shared some banter across that one, but it's yeah. just bizarre. And it's bizarre in a great way because I feel like we've got the industry and we've got the space in the industry to accept anyone and everyone. And some of the skill sets that veteran has, 
a veteran has is unique and it's desirable in the industry. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And we were talking about a lot of the programs for veterans coming into big tech companies. Microsoft's really prominent. We've got one at Palo Alto Networks. You guys have a big veteran community at Dragos. There's so many great examples. And we know very much, Ben, we've spoken about this so many times. Big shout out to the veteran community at the moment. But, you know, defense is all about getting people into the forces. We have a lot of trouble and there's a lot of challenges transitioning out of defense. I experience that personally, and I know that I'm not alone in terms of just conditioning back into a new domain, new cultures, the corporate world. It's very, very different. But I think there's a big shift happening because we're starting to realize the potential in a lot of non-traditional demographics as part of the workforce. Veterans are a big part of that. Even neurodivergent thinkers and people, more marginalized communities, potentially indigenous communities and the like. So it's actually really awesome to see that wave of capability now coming into corporate. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I think that the wave of the thought process behind it is interesting too. It's been so long where the veteran has been looked at as potentially a liability. You know, what have they seen? What's their mental capacity post-service? And now the thought process at corporate, especially at the higher echelon, is these veterans have capabilities that we now understand and we want to support and they can bring so much to the teams that, that they currently might not have. So it's, it, that wave of thought process is interesting to me as well. Yeah. I don't know how much you want to share, Ben, but I'd like to also, for those in the veteran community listening to this and also love, you know, we're talking about one of your former colleagues reaching out to me on LinkedIn last week. Get that a lot. It's really awesome. We're sort of cross-pollinating across different cohorts. So please continue that. If you are thinking about either coming out of army into cyber, whether you were, you know, top dog as an engineer or you were a signaler or you're a special forces operator, <laughs> come and you can talk to Ben and I will definitely... Yeah help with where to start or what to look for and just translation of the skills, no matter what core you're in. But I, I remember in my second year out of army, I ran into a CEO of one of the cybersecurity systems integrators and he was just like, no, I tripled my wage in three years. I was just like, holy shit. And I can tell you from my personal experience, like I was an engineering officer and I have literally more than tripled my income within three to five years coming into the cyber industry. And I think that's only growing. I know money is not everything, but you know I'm very motivated by more than that. Certainly, having meaningful, high impact work and all sorts of other things, but you know, financial well being is a big part of that. And when you have that backing, or you can see how much that can just be, literally such a life changer. It's just a remarkable thing to be putting the compass towards. I think, anyways. So, yeah, come and join the dark more. side. Exactly. So to your first point for anyone within the ADF more broadly than Army, if there is a chance that Gabe and I can help, please reach out. The dark mode community is all about it. And perhaps we can share that to our dark mode community if there is anyone looking to hire and we have some unique capabilities. So please reach out, connect with us on LinkedIn for that and shoot us a message. To echo your comments, Gabe, it's wild. I only had a realization moment again this morning where I saw my paycheck and with your sentiment too, money isn't everything, but it's an enabling element to, to live the lifestyle that you want to live. And it certainly is different on this side. It might be triple your paycheck as an engineer, but at Signals, we actually get paid a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not getting paid as much? Is that yes, pay yes, pay <laughs> no, no, it's paid. Yes, paid. No, it's definitely out there around the triple, but it's it's just, we're not saying this as like a, flex moment. This is more of a, just be aware of what is out there. We're not trying to steal capability from the ADF either, because retention is certainly something that the ADF struggles with. 
but there is more on the outside than, than you're aware and, and please reach out and we can have an open conversation with you to support it. Yeah. And like Dave Robinson says, let's discriminate in favor of veterans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Veterans are so rogue, aren't we? Just so, like... <laughs> so how was your Anzac Day game? What did you get up to? Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Similar thing, like commemoration. I do a lot of reflection too. Like Anzac Day is just like always deeply reflective for me. I'm a little bit more of like a hermit, like to take a little bit of time and that sort of thing. And then usually just connect with a couple of people here or there. There's also just like a big milestone in my family life around Anzac Day too. So just again, very, there's a lot of energy and emotions that come with Anzac Day itself. And then typically as well, because I played professional soccer in half of my army career, there's always an media element that comes with Anzac Day for me. So this year, the A-Leagues made a post about me serving and thank for the service. And that was really nice to see. So that come out of the blocks and just again, the energy associated with that in that forum. And just like, again, it always takes me back to I always love looking at the dive photos or some of the training stuff, some of the soccer photos. And it's just like, again, it just always bubbles up annually every year. So yeah, it's just like very emotional, very reflective and just takes me back to the times. But looking at some of the photos too, and I was just like, I can't believe some of these are 10 years ago. Like how quickly it goes, it's like out of control. So yeah, it was a good day though. Oh, that's good. It's a question for you as a veteran and it's an emotional time for you. It's an emotional time for other veterans as well. As a civilian supporting Anzac Day, how can they make sure that they they offer you their thanks of service without making you feel uncomfortable on a day like Anzac Day? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, lots of people thank me for my service. And I think I remember the first time ever someone thanked me for my service. It was like nine years ago, something like that. And I was just like, oh, well, it's like really... I think like just the culture with Australians too, we're not very, not really good at receiving that sort of feedback or being like, oh, I'm really contributing something significantly meaningful to my country. You know, you just kind of get on with it and do the work. I think kind of smiling and nodding because it's just so ingrained in our culture, especially as veterans or current serving members. But for civilian counterparts, I think if you don't know too much about Anzac Day, it's good just to dip in because there's a really strong, long history about it. And just the commemoration piece, it's not, again, that celebration, but it's more about the reflection and just appreciating what we have today around us because of the contributions of warfare and Australian troops, New Zealand troops as well. Yes, it's a good point. For me, it's, I find that a bit jarring when someone says thanks for your service. And again, that's probably just the tall poppy syndrome that we have here in Australia, New Zealand, but I appreciate the sentiment, but something that happened to me on Anzac Day this year, which I thought was really cool. And it sort of took me aback and actually made me, didn't make me too emotional, but it just made me sort of really think that, that was really, really special. Thanks for that was the my little man dog's about to cruise back in, was that I was about to order a beer at the bar for myself and a couple of mates and someone just leaned over and tapped their card and, and gave me a nod and, and that was it. And I that's thought, awesome. that's really cool. I appreciate that. That's really cool. Yeah. It's just so sentimental when those little micro experiences happen. Hey, it's like, oh, it's just nice to, just that appreciation, those undertones of care and gratitude. That's really cool to hear. Keen to hear from the rest of the community, any listeners too. Had any cool experiences on Anzac Day or what you think of you know, our little reflections here? Yeah, that'd be cool actually is, is comment below or chuck something on LinkedIn and just give us your experience as a, either a veteran or as a civilian counterpart and, and how you celebrate the day. I think that'd be interesting to read. Good segue, Ben, actually from Anzac Day, Veterans in Cyber into sovereign cyber capability. 
bit of a groundswell I feel like I'm experiencing and observing here locally in this region in Australia around developing more sovereign capability. You know, veterans and cyber is an element of that. There's a lot of amazing startups. There's a lot of talk about the role of government. We know that there's some very prominent public figures such as Claire O'Neill and even Malcolm Turnbull speaking really publicly about cybersecurity, national security, democracy, all sorts of things. So I think we're at a really interesting time and I'm fortunate enough to be heading to a home affairs roundtable next Thursday, which is going to be really interesting, like stoked for that. Like I can retire after this. There's going to be a lot of conversation about sovereign capability, but keen to hear your thoughts in general on what sovereign capability means for you, Ben. That's a, that's an interesting question. I did see that in the prep notes and thought, I want to get just ad-lib it ad- as we get it. But for me, sovereign capability in the current times is is required to the point where data sovereignty is a question that gets asked every cust- by every customer. Now, data sovereignty is fantastic, but the leading technologies are generally are generally driven by our US counterparts, Israel, Islerish. There's a whole bunch coming out of the UK. And traditionally, we haven't supported the sovereign technology growth here in region. I think that's the biggest piece that hasn't been that funding element to support sovereign capabilities. But we've seen a shift in the last couple of years in that there are a whole bunch of technologies that are being supported, a whole bunch of technologies that have put their foot in the sand and drawn a line and said, we're not taking this to the US to be part of the Silicon Valley piece. We are proud to be an Australian heritage organization, and we're going to do this from from sovereign shores. There are a whole bunch of technologies in market at the moment that are supportive of that, and I think it's only good for our capabilities as a sovereign nation moving forward. So I'm supportive mm. of it. I wish there was more, and I wish I could do more to support it. So what are your thoughts, Gabe? Yeah, it seems like it's pretty competitive too, like when you're going up against big tech behemoths that are out of the US or lots of amazing startups out of Israel from A200 units. We know that IDF sort of intelligence capability coming out of that region of the world is phenomenal. But yeah, we even worked on a few sovereign providers in our previous roles, Ben, like you were a big champion of the likes of Huntsman and Airlock. They respectively provide, I think Huntsman's like a seam capability, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. So it's like for those that might not be aware of Huntsman's offering it's basically something for a security operations center where you have everything across security event management and i think that was i don't know how i don't know what the status of huntsman is at the moment but i know they were pretty prominent five years ago but probably talks to the case of just the landscape in general on sovereign capability two recent ones well casada is not super recent but i think they're going really strong and then i read about Fivecast recently which is just like scouring dark web to look at potential threats and just got a big cash injection backed by Malcolm Turnbull. So I think there's a, there's definitely a crop of Aussie startups, cyber AI and the like that are coming to fruition now. So I'm excited to see where it takes us. Yeah, I agree. We've had some real success stories from sovereign technologies. Canva is one of them. The guys that uh, Atlassian. Atlassian. Just yeah. The darlings. You, just pulled, you pulled out the darlings there. Yeah. Canva and Atlassian. Yeah. Right. But they amazing should be stories. looked at as amazing success stories for us. And we should be, you know, supporting the local startups to be able to get to that point where they're able to take on the global market. Airlock Digitals, you mentioned Airlock. I think that's one that, that we that is probably next on on the ranks to to go to that level. They're asked by conferences all over the world to come and set up booths and present and support. 
it's, a, it's essentially a whitelisting capability that, that that has been picked up and supported by CrowdStrike and Palo Alto Networks and a whole bunch of other capabilities that provide the whitelisting service alongside their technology. So it's another great one. But in terms of, of Fivecast and Casada, my bets are on Fivecast. I think that's a really cool technology. It's, it's, it's doing all things OSINT, open source intelligence. And I'm a big fan of OSINT. I think it is. It's a, it was a dark art some time ago, but now it's come to the forefront and it's more of a an accepted art. Lots of people know about Google dorking, which is essentially just putting different strings together in Google to be able to support exact searching. So open source intelligence is something that I feel like if you're looking to get into the cyber realm, start at OSINT. It's things you already use. It's just, it's harnessing the capabilities of things like Google to support exactly what you're trying to look for. So Firecast Me, I think it's great. They talk about sentiment and emotion as detect, detect trends and patterns. And I think that's really unique. So yeah, Firecast is, is certainly starting to turn some heads. Super interesting. Be cool to get into a room with all these Aussie founders, the startups. Yeah. Dark mode Aussie startup event. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. How good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Away from the tech piece, Ben, is there anything, does anything come to mind for you when you think about like capability or people as it relates to? sovereign cyber capability because we know it's more than just technology yeah look i think i keep saying that we're unique and my dragos colleagues will be laughing at it because i say that regionalized all the time and regionalized capability and and the uniqueness of the anz market and the apac market more broadly and that's down to people and it's down to culture some of the most sought after capabilities are coming from australia and new zealand in terms of people and i find that really really fascinating in why and I, I don't think I, my hypothesis on that is that we have a broader concept of what is around based on our geolocation in that we're the largest island nation on the planet and we're so dislocated from the rest of the globe in that we've had to come up with unique ways of thinking to support broader. As a child, you grow up wanting to travel. And lots of people go and spend years abroad to, to get that global experience and then come home. And with that, they get a whole raft of, of lessons learned and cultural awareness that other nations as youth don't get. And I think that is what makes us and the people that are now being sought after more broadly in the global market. Mm. Yeah, super interesting. And I think our alliances across like the Five Eyes and even AUKUS from a national security perspective is really interesting like it certainly puts us up on you know we're a very wealthy progressive country so even though we're like that big island down under it's like we're again punching above the weight and mm. i think we do have a lot of great capabilities here so it'd be really interesting to see how a lot of even just the announcement of the cyber security strategy out to 2030 i think it is or beyond 2030 just, yeah yeah how that's going to develop as well big emphasis Question for on you that. on that gabe do you think seven years for a strategy is too long? Noting that things in AI, for an example, are changing hourly, not daily, not weekly, not monthly, not yearly. Do you think a seven-year strategy is probably far too forward-reaching? Well, I love the quote, people usually overestimate what can be achieved in a year and underestimate what can be achieved in 10 years. Oof. Right in the feels. So yeah. when it pertains to a strategy, like so much has to come together with it. Mm. We very much saw... Claire O'Neill release the announcement from Fed government to say, here is the new vision for Australia to be the number one, like secure nation in the world, which I love. Like I love setting the vision to be 
the number one in anything. Like you may as well. If you're going to go after something, you may as well just go, we're going to be the best. It's my opinion. So what comes with that is then there's this iteration of people are submitting feedback. You know, there's a lot of collaboration in the industry, a lot of organizations, a lot of very smart people and everything in between are going and saying, well, here's how I would contribute to the strategy. Here's what else I think we should be, we should be focusing on and developing. So things just always take a lot of time. And as it relates to like a seven year strategy, I think it's good to have something long-term, like a 10 year horizon, but it's just really important to phase things out and say, what are we doing immediately? Because proliferation of breaches is just here and now. I was pretty shocked to see in ABC News, the attribution to, don't, I can't remember what threat group it was, but there was like a live chat recorded from the news, the news investigative journalism. And it was like, yeah, Australians are so wealthy for no reason and they're stupid. And I was just like, that's a pretty shocking statement to just be out in the public eye. So it's just like, it just talks to, again, the culture here. And we have it, we have, I've always from a young age recognized how good we have it in Australia. But again, coming back to how do we all now band together? And just like anything, when there's lots of people involved, when there's lots of capability involved, when you have to move from a current state to a future state, there's so much that goes into that. And I think a seven-year strategy is warranted. But for me, it's really crucial to see what happens in the next year to feed into the three-year and what changes and how we progress towards being that number one cyber, you know, secure nation in the world. Yeah. And you were making reference to a Four Corners report, which was actually really cool. It was really well produced. And they got, in my opinion, some of the right people to talk about sovereign capability. They had some speakers from CyberCX. They also had some vision of the SOC or the Security Operations Center. But the chat you're referring to was by a hacker, and I use that term lightly, Kerasid, in, and that was his handle or her handle or their handle. And as it relates to Four Corners, they were asking this hacker what they think of Australians, and that was the feedback that was given. Now, they claim to be part of, which is one of the biggest ransomware gangs known. Full stop. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. But we yeah, might link that into the show notes, Gabe, because that was a really good, it was a 35, 40 minutes segment and it was, it was really interesting. Yeah. So d just again, like I'm really keen to see us develop capability and that's a really broad way of saying like, how do we shift from current state to future state? What does yeah. it take? Who do we get to lead certain functions? What do we need to develop? Because I do think we require a big paradigm shift in a lot of ways. We do everything at the moment. And again, AI has a big part of, to play in that and we'll go into that in a moment, but you just think about how multifaceted, how complex the world's changing. We made a joke before recording that what happens in a week used to be what happened in a year. There's just so much happening at the moment. So when it's such a critical capability, it's the number one thing on everyone's mind, no matter if you're a business leader, if you're my grandparents, if you're in the gym talking about, you know, you don't want to be scammed. You don't want to lose money. You don't want to be critical infrastructure is so security is important. Just the way, as we go about our daily lives, like this is cybersecurity and efficacy and resilience in Australia is like the number one thing, just hand, just hands down. And I think that's why the operators are coming to you to say, how do we get into cyber? It's like, what well, I'm loving working in cyber. It's just so interesting. Every day there's something new to learn, new to talk about, new to contribute to. So again, I'm really keen to see the Australian cybersecurity strategy come to fruition. Strategy is awesome. But execution is where it all comes to life. So I'll be definitely watching very closely as to the, the behaviors and the actions. But I do feel optimistic because 
we do see roundtables happening. We do see really smart people. We do see people we know contributing to this, signing agreements, just working to develop capability. And cyber is not really geographic. We know that, but as it relates to our nation, we want to be a secure nation. I think it's all good things to come. And again, Ben, I just reflect between you and I, when we started working together five, six years ago, it was just like, (laughs) how do you even spell cyber? And I remember just not even being able to pull up a strategy or I couldn't, there was like one or two half-assed reports about cybersecurity in Australia. So I think it's really good progress as to where we're coming from. Yeah. I think the conversation start is probably the most influential piece in that they've gone to market and asked for advice from the community. How they're going to parse all that information is beyond me because there's a lot of people submitting AI. it. Yeah. AI. <laughs> I know that's, I know that in, in the local Dragos team, we're supportive of that with some commentary. Uh, and then personally, I've submitted some pieces as well. So I know there's a lot of people that, that want to have buy into the strategy. And I think it's great that they've actually opened the gates to say, we want you to be a part of this. I think that's quite unique. I don't think that has happened globally in terms of developing a strategy like this. So I'm supportive as well. I really agree with you in that, you know, I was laughing when you said execution mode because Gabe used to say all the time, execution mode, execution mode, execution mode. So I think that's really unique. There are a few people that are in terms of public figures that are coming out and not criticizing, but adding a voice to what needs to change in the market here regionally. And one of them is Malcolm Turnbull through his podcasts. You've seen him come out publicly in the last couple of months with a democracy podcast. What's the name of his podcast, Gabe? Defend- Can you think of- yeah, Defending Democracy. Defending Democracy. Yeah. And he's made some commentary in there. One thing that, that I thought was quite unique and it was, it's a little dated now in terms of the, where we are on the 28th of April. This is his commentary in February the 20th this year. He criticized the foreign influence laws that we currently have. And I think that's something that has potentially gone awry in, in what we have currently as a nation in terms of sovereignty. Malcolm Turnbull calls it a box ticking exercise for foreign influence laws. I'll read a couple of quotes here. Malcolm Turnbull, who's an ex-Prime Minister of Australia for those global folks that are listening. He, he says, quote, unquote, a lot of the information or relationships being reported are so benign as to be barely worth doing. Yet if you believe the register that we currently have, there is no, not one representative of the Chinese Communist Party's United Front Work Department operating in Australia. That defies credulity. Uh, I find that really odd that there is that. And it just goes to show that there is a box-seeking exercise and we are not on top of the foreign influence laws. Yeah, I would be really keen to deep dive into foreign influence. And there's a lot of like seeing Minister for Foreign Influence. There's a lot of work going into that. Let's circle back and do an episode solely yeah. on foreign influence. Definitely. We get Charity back on and talk about it as well. Yeah, that was, exactly. Uh, yeah, sure. We could definitely link, we could actually link a few podcasts, but I think like something, yeah, we'll just go even deeper around it. Yeah. Interesting. Um, there's one thing too in, in the same piece that Mr. Turnbull talks about too, is the, the United States Studies Center, which is essentially a think tank at the University of Sydney promotes the US-Australia alliance is listed on that same register as foreign influence. So, you know, there's no balance between it. It's a US-Australia alliance that we're trying to maintain and develop as a think tank. And that's been listed on foreign influence, but some of the Chinese, the Communist Party stuff hasn't been listed. So it's bizarre at the moment. I think that needs to change. And I'm glad there are people with the clout of Malcolm Turnbull, ex-Prime Minister of Australia, to support those conversations. Yeah, for sure. Just like the amount of influence that does happen day to day, whether it's physical or virtually, I just think it's all around us. If you think about 
practice, even the history of intelligence operations, and now what that what that means in a multimodal world now is yeah. it's not something we're going to be able to escape. But it is really important to talk about democracy, defending it, bringing in new measures, protecting our culture, you know, society and everything. So, yeah, interesting. Did you say multimodal? Mm-hmm. Help a brother mm-hmm. out. <laughs> Just like different modes, you know, like gotcha. whether it's dark mode or light mode. Dark mode or light mode, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Multi-dark modal is what Multi-dark I meant to say. Multi-dark modal. <laughs> oh, I yeah. love it. Just different domains or different outlets. Just very interconnected. You know, I'm Gabe here, but I'm then also represented on social media or we can have a conversation through different mediums, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And just the influence that comes with that, right? I just think from like a human perspective, we have key sense, sensory experiences and that, that help, our senses help us to perceive the world and to interfere with that or to influence the way that we think or what we're conditioned to happens in really subtly micro moments through the day, mm. which is why I'm really passionate about captology, how technology changes our behaviors and our minds. And I've pitched an idea around Ubiqua, classic, this is like the sap mantra, <laughs> just like how you can just how susceptible we are as humans to subtle influential persuasion. And that happens in a lot of variety of different ways through what we read, whether it's in passing, how we travel, what we do day to day, who we talk to. There's a lot of things that influence us. And as it relates to foreign interference, which is just on a whole nother level, that can be happening very purposely by other nation states, could be happening a lot more indirectly through subtle nudges, through algorithms and technology. That's what I mean by multimodal. It's like it can just happen in so many different forms and mediums. I'm all across it now. Th- thanks for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. It makes complete sense to me. Yeah. Well, thank you for allowing me to elaborate on. I went uh, a different path when you said multimodal, so I'm glad you explained that. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm sure what I'm not you, the only one as well. What did you interpret as, just out of interest? Uh, I just interpreted as the <laughs> dark mode. Sound really daft. Uh, Multimodal, I was like, oh, yeah, multimodal, different states, different things. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. quantum. I got that. Quantum. Yeah. <laughs> Artificial intelligence. <laughs> Mitochondria. <laughs> oh, Shout out to John. He's <laughs> <laughs> just always like mitochondria. Mitochondria was his go-to like, word. It was his go-to. So funny. Anyway. Oh. Hey, I'm really keen to get your talking about multimodal influence and persuasion and what we consume. How are you feeling about the week that was RSA? Yeah, I was there last year, this time last year. This year for me was a little bit quieter and I'm thankful for it because I know that it takes a lot out of people when you go to RSA, especially when you're representing a brand or you're representing yourself or trying to build a brand or build your own personal brand. So it is a lot. It's a big couple of days. So kudos to all of the folks that traveled over there and either presented uh, or represented themselves at RSA because it's a big piece. But how am I feeling about it? I feel like there's been a lot of AI talk. There's been a lot of announcements linked to RSA where artificial intelligence is, and you sent a great gift the other day of Oprah Winfrey getting up and saying, you get an AI, you get an AI, you get an AI. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, like I'm seeing so many providers, tech platforms, like what what would you say there? Well, first I saw Palantir really Mm -hmm. early, followed by Recorded Future really early, like incredibly soon after the wave of ChatGPT exploding. So kudos to those R&D centers, kudos to those product leaders and technologists who were able to bring that capability 
through whichever API roller coaster or develop that in-house to actually announce an AI platform. And you're right. It's like, you get an AI platform. <laughs> you get an AI platform. <laughs> like who's not an AI platform, but it's pretty cool to see just even the conversational AI interface, which very much we recognize as consumers through ChatGPT, you know, yeah. have a conversation, Q&A, but it's really interesting to see the conversational AI be embedded as a key feature and way to actually interact with a lot of cybersecurity technologies now. But that was really interesting. And of course, you know, ML AI has been a part of the technological fabric for a lot of providers for a long time, but geez, RSA, it's just announcement after announcement around AI platforms. So yeah, so that was predicted though, I think. I, I think it was, yeah. It was definitely telegraphed, that's for sure. Yeah. And for anyone playing bingo at home, I'm sure you just hit a bingo. RSA, AI, ML. <laughs> One of the unique things at RSA that I found last year and, and I found it interesting in that it's a different way to market was huge big trucks that had billboards on them that they just drive around around the Moscone Center. And it's just advertising and I have no doubt. And if anyone's there that can take a photo to prove this or has a photo, I would love to see it of AI being or an AI platform being advertised on one of those big trucks because they are absolutely everywhere. Last year, Cyber Reason had an absolute dominating or market share on those trucks because they had their owl everywhere, which was interesting in itself. But the RSA piece is, I know there's a lot of people in the industry that want to get to RSA and it's like a, it's an event that they want to experience for themselves. And I do absolutely recommend it as an experience. It is exactly that by definition, it's an experience. The, the Moscone Center is split up into three exhibition centers in, in the same vicinity, which is essentially a suburb in itself. That's how big it is. And inside each of them is, there's the floor, which has all the booths. And shout out to all the folks that sit on the booth over those three days, because my word, they get a lot of talking in and a lot of shaking hands and kissing babies. So th there's just so much to it, Gabe. I just can't believe on a scale of what it is. And, and How many people go? Is it like 5,000 people? 6.71 trizillion. That's, that's a lot of people. <laughs> I'm actually not sure. Let me just say conference. Also, uh, as you're getting that up, I do just want to give the fans what they want and just show again that Dark Mode yeah. was actually at RSA <laughs> this week. Here we go. Dark Mode, if you're on the audio version, we are showing a photo. Jump into the video if you're on Spotify or on YouTube. Funny, Nick sent us this photo of Dark Mode billboard, Ben, to your point before about advertising. So thanks to Airbnb for promoting Dark Mode over Thank at you. RSA. Unsponsored sponsorship. I love that. Thank you, Airbnb. <laughs> We're everywhere. I mean, whoever came up with the name Dark Mode, I tell you. Ah, what a, what a, what a branding ploy. Wild. Wild. It's to answer your question before, attracting approximately 50,000 attendees over the course of three days. So 50,000 over the course of three days. Jeez. Yeah. How many people at one time do you think would be in the room? Like in the center? 49,000. <laughs> or 50,000. Nah, but that's a lot of people. If you imagine just even half of that amount yeah. in there at any time, there's a lot of people. It is phenomenal. And to think too, I've just got it up here. This year's pricing for a ticket is $1,800. Wow. So that is that's a significant, significant turnover. That's I mean, a that's, big payday. That blows me away. That yeah, is, I, that's a lot of money. I'm a product of the Queensland education system. So that for me isn't. Millions. Yeah. Thank you. Tens of millions. Tens of, yeah, that's wild. But the, I know we did a podcast as I returned from RSA last year and I was pretty disheveled by the whole piece because RSA takes over San Francisco. 
Um, and when I say takes over San Francisco, I mean it absolutely takes over San Francisco. You'll think about 50,000 attendees. And then outside of that, you've got vendors book out hotel floors so that you can hold executive meetings. And some of those people don't attend the actual conference itself. They're there to represent their own brand and their own interests. And so adding on to probably another 10,000 to that 60,000, most people have a hotel room to themselves. So you can imagine the influx of people to San Francisco as a city and what that does to support San Francisco. And then to see, you know, the state of homelessness and things that I saw last year was, it's just such a disparate. It's very contrasting. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's, I heard, saw someone post that RSA conference is the cybersecurity Oscars. (laughs) But who's who in the Zeus? Yeah, exactly. But it's true. I don't know if I, I haven't been to RSA, but I'm still very on the fence as to if I would ever want to go to RSA. Yeah. It's worth it just to catch up with some of the folks. Like I got to spend time with Chase Cunningham that that I would never have thought I'd be able to spend. And we had a heap of partners and customers over there. It would have been an incredibly worthwhile event. Lots of keynotes, super interesting. I just can't get over the long haul travel. Just, I'm so precious. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like my body's just been compressed with the cabin pressure over the years. Yeah, true. I'd probably be like five centimeters taller. I hope I would be. Yeah, yeah, I reckon too easily. Yeah, that's what it is. Kept the cabin pressure. Yes, yeah. <laughs> genetics never heard of it. <laughs> too good. All right. Yeah. Well, so that's that's RSA. I think I think RSA. You know, just to close out RSA is that uh, I recommend you go just to experience it. I know long haul flights not your jam, but um, tied in with some road trips and some fun things and. There is some amazing things you get to do at RSA. Outside of the conference itself, it's, yeah, I had some great experiences with people I didn't think I'd ever be able to catch up with. And if any of them are listening, you know who you are and I appreciate you because it certainly is something that you only get to do a couple of times in your life. If you're lucky enough to go every year, I don't, I couldn't think of anything worse, but. I'm privy to a few of those offline stories, Ben, from your trip last year. That's probably another podcast with a different rating. (laughs) Yeah. That one's on the subscription. It's locked. <laughs> Ben's only fans. <laughs> only fan. That's one. <laughs> Too funny. Shall we, shall we wrap up with CyberFit Nation, Ben? Yes, please. This is really exciting. Um, if you allow me the honors to do to Gabe, I think this is something that, that I How think good. is... <laughs> Gabe only, only, only broke the news to me before this call. I'm still excited for her about this. but uh, soon, soon to be public too, by the way. So I think this will be the first... When the episode gets released, will be probably the first time it is made public, but there'll, there you be, a, go. there'll be a wider announcement coming. Yeah. That'd be cool. Next week. Yeah. So Gabe, but alongside please. her 48,000 other hats that she wears, has just been knighted in front of the Palo Alto Kings and Queens as the director <laughs> of the CyberFit Nation program. So that's a huge kudos to you, Gabe. And I have no doubt that you'll take what is a great framework into the future and turn it into something that is really unique and certainly offers more to the general public and some of our largest enterprise customers beyond what it is today. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Thank you for, thank you for that. It's, it's very exciting. Like I'm personally really energized by it. And I was like making a joke about, we always, strategy is awesome. Execution is where it's at, but there's some really cool introductions into the CyberFit Nation program. But if, for those who might not be aware, CyberFit is a fairly newly launched free educational program that Palo Alto Networks launched only in October last year. There's a few partners in the program and at the moment in the infancy has really been around quarterly webinars and seminars for different demographics. 
So we run a board of directors track. We run an employees track. We have cyber safe kids. So for children about digital safety and well-being. And then we have one for fundamentals for SMEs as well, which is really cool because it's just, again, like I'm a big fan of evangelizing. and I love engaging the community in the industry. And I think this offers something for people to just understand cyber a lot better. Take something that can be technically overwhelming and very complex and convoluted and just break it down and then get lots of people involved, internal to Palo, externally, launching ecosystems around it and just really, again, bringing digital safety and awareness to the market in a different realm. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And Dark Mode are proud to be sponsors of the CyberFit Nation program. It ties in really nicely. Yeah, Dark Mode is a partner of the CyberFit Nation program. How good is that? Very cool. Again, Gabe, I think a yeah, round of applause, silent applause to you because that's a really great achievement. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I'm excited to see what, uh, what you do with the program. I think it's going to be really cool. Yeah, it was interesting when Lisa Sim made the announcement on just Monday gone because it was just like an internal comms to the ANZ team. And there would have been 60 to 80 people reply and either say congrats or reach out to me directly or Lisa and I or the classic reply all to the rest of the business. There's always those people. <laughs> but it's really energizing, right? But the most remarkable thing was I sort of went over the top of Lisa's email and said, the first high value initiatives I want to introduce into CyberFit is to launch an ambassadors program. So we just basically ask people to wear the CyberFit hat. There's a lot of people passionate about CyberFit at Palo already. So it's just like amazing. And I'll quantify that in a second. But the second pillar then as well was launching ecosystem strategy around it. So there's already a couple of partnerships that could just be really revamped, get that scale in the market. And then, you know, just really aim to provide that infrastructure and the support to people to pick up the program and run with it because of the nature of what it delivers to the community. But Within two days, there's been 16 people sign up to be ambassadors. And there's been all these examples of people like, I have this idea or, you know, I'm keen to run this for the Australian Cybersecurity Collaboration Centre in Adelaide for a cyber clinic. There's a lot of parents in the organisation. They want to run cyber safe kids in their local Saturday jiu-jitsu classes. Like, you know, there's all these sort of examples where it's just like, this stuff is really important. I think there's a lot of really clever people that care about the mission around it. So it's cool. Humbars to ransomware. You're cool in a jujitsu yeah, clinic. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to see a little P, Penelope, pick up CyberFit, you know. Yeah. Probably. I thought you were going to say jujitsu. I was like, Boxing. I don't need that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. So more to come. It's going to be a lot of fun. So how do, how do people get involved with the program as it stands now, Gabe? Is there something that, that uh, we can link in the show notes for them to get access to it? Yeah, absolutely. We'll throw the CyberFit Nation link in the notes, but you can check that out at Go Palo Alto Networks, CyberFit Nation. And then just reach out directly if you're keen to either have a session delivered. I'm personally delivering one to Colgate in the, for a lunch and learn in the coming months, uh, coming weeks. There's a few other engagements in the like. So yeah, if you're keen, we're always looking to engage in the industry. And I think the IP, the information around the actual seminars and workshops will be really valuable. Yeah. I'm looking forward to some free toothpaste. Yes. <laughs> Swag kits. <laughs> Lego Swag kits. How about yeah. the Lego idea? Someone had a Lego idea. Very cool. Stay Very tuned. Very cool. We have a Lego from Dragos, custom-made Lego, which is cool. Everyone likes to collect that. Speaking of merch, we released a teaser for some merch. We uh, released a teaser for some merch. Can and we got some real help? quick How feedback that? on that one. <laughs> yeah. do, you do you love it, Ben? Oh. The slides. Socks and slides are my daily footwear when I work from home, that's for sure. Very true, yeah. We're going to have to release some dark mode swag in the next few weeks. So 
if uh, there are marketeers amongst our community that have some good ideas to swag or anyone more broadly that thinks that they would love to rock some dark mode swag, please comment, let us know, let us shoot know. us a LinkedIn, however you reach us, yep. because we are all ears. There's been some really cool new comments on YouTube, actually. Heaps yeah. of people engaging on YouTube. So if you're keen for dark mode swag, let us know. Yeah. Now, you know what? Best qu- comment gets a free swag. That's Best I'm comment gets free swag. Done. Yeah. That is Duh. a great incentive. Here you go. You, you're the marketeer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been amazing catching up with you, Gabe. I think this episode goes live in a couple of days' time. I'm excited for peeps to get on there and comment, and we can see who wins the free swag. Love it. Stay tuned. Thanks, Stay ben. tuned. Thanks, Gabe. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next episode of Dark Mode.